0: You're listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Sean Devine, joined by my host, co-host, that, that is Kyle Daigle. Hey, Kyle.
1: <laughs> hey, Sean.
0: Hey, so what do you think of the new, uh, you're listening to this episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast?
1: Would they be listening to a, a, a different episode, maybe?
0: And it seems like an obvious sort of podcast opening. I've never heard anyone do, so I decided I'm going to do it.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. We
0: have a, We have a guest today.
1: Yeah, so I brought my uh, colleague Sam Lambert from GitHub uh, along to endure a Ruby on Rails podcast episode.
0: Bring a colleague to uh, the show day.
1: Yeah, it's sort of Uh, like, you know, bring your child to work day. (laughs) uh, Sam's uh, in San Francisco right now,
2: so hey Sam. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? good thank you yeah, um, yeah nice early on a monday morning
1: <laughs> yeah we figured we'd get you bright and early so you could
0: be a little groggy as we do this <laughs> <laughs> i think that's when i'm
2: at my best
0: hold hold on it's nine let's be real
2: i mean <laughs> well so i've learned on the west coast this is this is early
1: yeah i was gonna say how many people are in the office right now it's pretty quiet <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> 9
0: 9 early <laughs> yep.
1: yeah well um so Sam, uh, Sam is the director of systems at GitHub. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Sam for probably about two years now um, in a sort of side-by-side different, uh, different things, but I wanted to bring Sam, Sean, so we could chat about um, what exactly he does at GitHub and sort of how, uh, how he's shaping how GitHub chooses and uses its technology at this point, um, since it's definitely impacted in a good way um, the types of things that I'm working on, so... Fun, yeah. So, Sam, why don't you start maybe by just describing what exactly uh, <laughs> director of systems means?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, we have a systems team here at GitHub. Uh, it's a fairly small team. Uh, really awesome engineers that work here. Uh, I am lucky enough to be able to direct that team. The systems team is responsible for uh, core Git contributions, so managing Git um, internally, and then the kind of the infrastructure that surrounds Git. So. Git doesn't just run in, in isolation at the scale that we're running at. You know, there's, there's um, proxies, rate-limiting services, all sorts of various, like, different plumbing around running Git at this scale that our team also works on. So we build a lot of services written in C. We do a lot of performance work at the lower like lower level of our stack. And we also have the database team. So we run MySQL at GitHub as our main database. And we you know the team that manages that is also in the systems organization. So we very much work on the the kind of the behind the scenes back-end work that enables us to scale to the size that we're at i i like to i often say that we work on the appropriately bespoke elements of our stack
1: yeah i was gonna say so i mean when you joined github and and um i would say it was probably when github was growing quickly and sometimes you know stumbling a little bit uh, as we went along technology wise you know uh We've been super available uh, as of late, but um, sort of back when, if I, if my memory serves me right, back when you joined, it was um, a, a little bit uh, harder. You know, we a uh, little bit understaffed and a lot of different technologies. And so, I'm sort of curious from your perspective, you know, in the time you've been at GitHub, um, you know, what's been the sort of biggest change uh, technology wise, or you know, maybe the way that GitHub is looking at technology that has gotten us now to, you know, like you said, just a few bespoke parts instead of, you know, a couple dozen, I guess.
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, um, when I joined, I think it was a time that a lot of kind of specialist people started joining the company. So the company grew around this core set of engineers that were they're just amazing, like engineers doing, you know, building up, building on this kind of general stack. And then it, it became like this this stage where it was like a real scaling tipping point so we started to get some some people that were like real experts in the specific technologies we used the stacks actually got simpler in the last two years and i think that's because you know there's this period of when you're scaling up and you know you're growing you you think about you know what can other new technologies sort of provide us to fix these types of problems and and some newer tech can sort of creep in the stack can get kind of strangely you know um disparate and and we really started to reflect on how much that was serving us now luckily when i joined github there was this strong philosophy around using um unix style and very simple stable proven technologies and that's something that we we continue to reflect on and we've we've started you know we've moved since i've i've joined and and um the, with the work we've all done as a team we're seeing le- like the number of technologies in production actually shrinking which is really great because it means we understand the core technologies that we use and we can use them more effectively and um focus our efforts around those and scaling those
0: now do you have an example of <clears throat> something that uh, was off the rack became bespoke and then went back to off the rack over time
2: Oh, interesting. Because
0: um, it sounded like that was sort of the basic pattern for many things, right? They started simple, they got complex, now they're more simple again. If I if I heard you right,
2: yeah. So we, well, yeah, we kind of. Um, for example, we we used a lot of Redis. And now mm. we're working on moving. You know, we, since we've we've started reducing the amount of Redis we're using and using Redis for more appropriate uses for Redis and moved more back into MySQL. So we understand. You know, we used to do routing all through Redis. So you when you um, you made a request to Git, it would look up from Redis which file server it should be directing to and sent there. So this was like persistent data we needed this data stored persistently and you know that's not something that i'd feel redis is greatly optimized for Though it's you know it's it's awesome for what it does do i think we were using it in a kind of a strange way and um so we moved that back into mysql and we've really started to like you know consolidate more around like core database technologies and basically just you know make things more Standardized there. We've also we had some other database technologies in production that we moved to MySQL uh, and co- consolidated there. That's where our expertise is. And you know, MySQL's got a long proven history of being able to scale. And um, yeah, so like kind of unifying that stack like that.
0: So do you have like a was that a project to go through and inventory all the places where you're using Redis as as basically like a I don't know either a global data store of something that you'd rather have in MySQL given the sort of robustness of MySQL or for, I don't know, aggregations or other things people tend to use Redis for temporarily? Like, did you have to like sweep through or do you just say, Hey, any team that happens to see in the code, the following types of uses, just, you know, use this pattern instead. How do you go about kind of cleansing the code base once, once things are have proliferated out into it?
2: So we were, we were looking, we were, we would do it by based on like what feature set or product set was using Mm -hmm redis specifically there and then we'll sweep through the code to sort of analyze the use cases and then and then move them and there's another project on the way to do exactly that actually for um some of our trans uh, like transient data is also going to be able to be moved to mysql and um yeah it's very much about going through looking at the calls that are being made to the the database understand if that's possible for those to to go, get stored in mysql and, and move it over there that was um that's some of the work the core application team at github are doing right now actually um and going through like sort almost like auditing our u- Redis usage there and um, moving it to MySQL.
1: Yeah, we're doing. I'm sort of uh, impacted by that slightly because one of the things that GitHub is sort of moving away from is using serialized attributes in its MySQL tables. So if you're unfamiliar, yeah, you know, basically just storing a list of uh, virtualized attributes uh, serialized into like a giant blob uh, in in your MySQL table. And so one of the projects that I've taken over uh, for a while. Use that, and so one of the things that you know ultimately from Sam to Core App, and then you know to each you know feature team, uh, mine being Platform, saying, "Hey, we're not going to use these anymore, and we'd like you to sort of move away from them. So just use actual MySQL, so we can query on it and not have any problems." Um, And so most teams haven't been using something like serialized attributes in a new way for a long time. But uh, it's one of those things where each team for a project like that is able to prioritize it um, in a meaningful way within their own work and just sort of get it done and and move on.
0: Now, does MySQL provide a way like Postgres does to store, you know, in Postgres, it's either an H store or a JSON B that you can query on? Or are you just sort of moving all of that out into actual attributes on the model?
2: The latest MySQL version, 5.7, that became GA in the last month actually supports JSON columns. So hmm. we're not on that version yet. You know that It takes a lot of validation work and testing and rolling out to roll out a new database version that's so core to our stack. But it's something we'll be able to leverage um, properly when we've rolled out to 5.7. And it's great to see that MySQL is you know, now doing that. It took a couple of years, but, you know, the reason it takes two years for them to pick up on these these newer features is because they, you know, they really don't compromise on stability and reliability. So it takes a lot of testing and validation from their end. And now that we have it, we can apply that newer kind of newer technology, newer um, solution with all the stability and maturity that, you know, we get from a database like MySQL.
0: So I'm not a database nerd by any stretch. Like I can use Postgres pretty well. That's basically all that I use. But if you don't mind, educate me a little bit on like the, what seems like the conventional wisdom now, which is that at least that I hear, which is, is that Postgres would be the thing one would choose if you're starting from scratch, blah, 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 my SQL, blah, blah, blah. Is that, is that an accurate current point of view? Is that dated? Is that was it never accurate? Sort of, what's the core or what's the key fork in the road where one would go path A and B? And does it even matter to GitHub? Or you're like, well, well this is what we're on, so we're just making the best of it.
2: So it's obviously highly subjective, but I can certainly give, certainly give my opinions from that my point of view when it comes to the two. So it, I think it depends what you're 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 trying to do and, and the problems you're trying to solve. I think Postgres has got a lot of really nice, you know, developer-oriented features, and you know there's you know there's good parts of that and there's there's not so great parts of that so you know if you're running on a smaller scale maybe using heroku and having that managed for you you know that's probably a big plus but when you're running infrastructure at our scale um we 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 more feature kind of um operability features and i think that that mysql is really great for that the the mysql community is huge mysql serves the largest sites on the internet um You know, Facebook are using it at colossal scale, Google, um, Twitter, Yahoo, you know, and they're all contributing. So they're seeing these problems at scale and, you know, finding common issues and, you know, applying that back via open source. And we all benefit from that. So when it comes to real stability, great replication story, you know, and reliability, which are the features you really want from your database, you know, Qu- quick development features, you know, very, you know, they fall down. They're not always necessary at a, at a large scale. You really we're looking for reliability, and we're looking for a database that that does what it's meant to do, really stably and and predictably fails, and most importantly, fails um, predictably. So, you know, it's, it's no one's job as a developer to prevent failure because it's just impossible. It's it's the job. Uh, the job is more likely around ensuring partial failure and predictable failure, and that's something MySQL does extremely well and, and in my opinion, better than any other database. You know, being tested at such huge scale allows it to be very proven, very reliable, and, and that's what we want from a technology over any development features that could be added quickly to any data store. That's, that's, we're less interested in that and less interested in the magic, more interested in what we know and understand.
0: So I don't, I don't feel like I'm deep enough on this topic to come back quickly but i could just feel the collective eye roll honestly about <laughs> about that whole thing like i i, I don't know it just it, that feels that feels a little dismissive of postgres but okay
2: no i wouldn't say no not at all um postgres has a great um role to play in the community it you know it's it's newer technologies or te- technologies that are more on the cutting edge are a great source of inspiration for other technologies so postgres led with json columns something that mysql adopted um and no doubt due to the popularity in postgres so that's something i'm really thankful for the postgres community for um you know there are larger sites running postgres and you know provide like i've used uh, postgres on heroku and it was just so amazingly simple that if i was doing you know a quick project i would without a doubt use that even though um I have a lot of depth of expertise in MySQL. There's a lo- absolute load that it offers the community, and I think you know, really, the great thing about technology is everyone is out there to choose um, what they want, and they they're free to do that. I just think, I, I, I just think I I kind of I you know what I pick in a technology, and the role of new technologies and the role of more cutting-edge technologies is very is very clear for me, and I'm very grateful for them being there. But that doesn't necessarily mean I would put these things straight into production.
0: Now, did you pick MySQL then?
2: Not for GitHub. I would pick it in any other kind of larger-scale project. Um, you know, luckily the founders picked MySQL early on, um, and I was lucky enough to come on and help work on MySQL at GitHub.
0: Okay, so we're going to enter the. I ask annoying questions that sort of contradic- show the contradiction in, in, in the MySQL conversation. So, and, and I apologize cause it's, you know, but what the hell it's going to make for more interesting listening. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, Ruby, it, it, you just sort of gave the case for not Ruby in your MySQL answer. So why hasn't GitHub switched off Ruby then? In other words, like swap, like you said about Postgres, it's a tool for, that has friendly development fleet features that mm-hmm. are easy to get going, but you know, can get you in trouble in production. I mean, I think Ruby probably that's more accurate for Ruby than it is Postgres. Uh, but I, I know that GitHub's still on Ruby. So why not? Like, why not apply that thinking to the the core language that's running everything?
2: So that's quite, that's, that's quite interesting actually. Um, so, yeah, we run the Rails monolith, and it provides us, you know, it's. I think it's about pragmatism and looking at what it's still providing for you. Um, using Ruby and Rails provides us a ton of flexibility with development, and we can develop really, really quickly in a domain that's, you know, a, a, deploy, a bad deploy of a database is very different to a bad deploy of a, a web app. Um yes you could you could argue that you could make risk to your data by deploying the web app with a bug or, or whatever, but you know when it comes to the database, all the database should be doing for you is is um, storing and retrieving data quickly and reliably, which is something we we obviously get from mySQL and with the Ruby monolith you know we do get this people ask a lot why we 're still using Ruby people sort of scoff a bit and people scoff at the fact we 're using rails but you know we're running rails at a large scale it does involve um, hiring engineers that are very well versed in the in the in the plumbing of rails and and scaling rails which you know again isn't easy but while it still gives us the ability to hire people that understand rails and then they can get going very quickly on adding product features in a rails way um it still serves us it's all about looking at what it serves for you you know uh i think you know it provides us a lot still there'd be well, I just can't imagine the argument for us moving away from Rails and Ruby, to be honest. Um,
0: well, so so I, I mean, just to be clear, so I, I use Ruby for those same reasons and I'm not a database wonk. So I would tend to go with whatever I had already go, gone with on a project and not mm-hmm. sort of introduce the risk of switching. So I, I probably come down on the same decisions that you are, but I think that the reason for them is interesting. So you use the word like pragmatic. So what does pragmatic mean?
2: Really analyzing, well, to me, um, it means really looking at what the problem is that you're trying to solve, and what smaller chunks and elements of that that um, problem you want to solve, and what and you know, it, it, being pragmatic about problem solving is is really is trying to solve the problem with as little overhead as possible, and introducing newer issues. So you could just say like you know, we we want a data store. What do we pragmatically want our database to do? What we want it to store retrieve data do we want it to manage connections for us and connection pooling and failover and sharding automatically no in my opinion that's something that you don't want your database to do for you it adds complexity it adds magic and abstracting all those things away from your application just adds this extra overhead and, and risk case
0: so on the root so let's apply that to ruby so what is how is ruby the pragmatic choice then What is, or, or is the pragmatism rather just basically around switching at this point in that, like, like the problem you're solving is, is, uh, well, the problem that would be created by switching is just so big that whatever the costs are of the sort of incumbent choice, well, shrug, you know, it's fine. Is is that, is that what pragmatic means in that context?
2: Certainly that is an element of it. Um, it, it certainly would be, you know, well, we just wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be able to do anything new for probably a year or a couple of years to move away from it. And 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 Rails and Ruby are causing us, you know, little problems in comparison to what they're giving us and the leverage they're giving us. So, you know, I just, what do we want from a, a web framework? We want, you know, everything, a framework can give us and we want to be able to develop and iterate on our project quick our product quickly we move, we're still you know we're still growing there's a lot of growth involved and it just is running reliably and stably in production we have people that understand the limitations and yeah like that is a that's a large element of it and but it's still providing for us exactly what we need from it and we will have to do more work you know as as we grow to scale it out but still, it's giving us fast development cycles, and, and that's something that you know we really appreciate.
0: I guess the way – maybe like a little mental model for the idea of pragmatism and making tech choices, because I think that most people that listen to this show think about this topic a lot, right? They start new projects or they're on a project and they're wondering what technologies to use or do they continue with the technologies or whatever. And I, maybe like a little mental model is that at the beginning of project of a project, there's basically no context – as in no existing context, right? Cause everything's new. So being pragmatic is about focusing on the problem you're solving. And then later the problem you're solving is, is like, uh, dwarfed by the size of the context you're in. And therefore pragmatism just means basically maintaining the status quo unless there's something dire later. So, like, you kind of can't talk about pragmatism without context. Given that you could take the GitHub problem, you know, the problem domain, and if you're starting GitHub now, what's pra- with the pragmatic answer? Would probably be totally different than the pragmatic answer, you know, ten years on. Do you think that do you think that that's do you think that's accurate way to think about it? Is that how you think about it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's all about the context that you're in. Um, without a doubt, you know, when the founders started with. You know, building GitHub on Rails, I'm sure they, you know, it was exactly the right um, solution to their what they wanted to do. They wanted to experiment with something and build quickly and work, and work quickly to develop it. And thank goodness it took off. And we now have, you know, the issues of scale um, because they chose a good technology in the beginning. They were able to develop quickly, respond to what users want. And so, yeah, absolutely. It was about the context for then. And, and luckily, you know, it's still serving us. It's, going, it's It's doing really well. So we were very lucky with those choices. And it is absolutely about context. You have to, you know, my views on technologies and, you know, every element of the stack, they change year on year as we grow. And it's all about, you know, it's it's not about dogma. It's all about looking at what serves you, discarding what doesn't serve you and continuing on. You know, it, it, it's continuing iteration on, you know, the, the company and the technologies that we use.
0: I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about because I I think that that whole conversation suggests that like when you're starting something, if you're pragmatic, that means that you'll choose the thing that solves the problem at hand in your personal context, given there is no like firm context, right? Like that the firm doesn't exist. So I think that would say you'd use whatever technology you already know, as long as it like basically solved the problem, you know, as long as it wasn't a total jail. Um, but then, you know, as we talked about a minute ago that whatever you picked in the beginning, you're going to tend to stick to unless like, again, it was a total jail, which sort of suggests, it reminds me of my, my friend, John. So I've got this friend, John, and he's, he's got a very like p- peculiar set of, of quirks, like in a good way. And one of yeah. them is that uh, whenever we've gone to out to dinner hundreds of times and <clears throat> whenever he goes to a restaurant for the first time, You know, he obviously picks something new, but then whenever he goes there a second time, he always gets the thing he picked the first time, always. So every time we go to a new restaurant, I make like a big production with the waiter about making sure John picks well, because like (laughs) he's not picking just for this one dinner, but like for all future dinners at this restaurant. And I kind of feel like, you know, I, I think that there's this interesting tension here between the idea of like MVPs and failing fast, and then the idea of being pragmatic over time, which will tend to mean don't change like pragmatically, like in for good reasons, right? That like the change will introduce risk that probably dwarfs the benefit unless the original sort of solution is just totally wrong at scale. And it, it kind of all that just says that the MVP ends up having a lot more weight than people think.
2: Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, without without a doubt, um, which is why actually thinking about um, the kind of the understanding, the community knowledge and the experience that people running at a larger scale are talking about is really important. So you could just well be stuck with the solutions you pick early and you may want to question um, the feature. So, so a specific data store or stack element may Give you tons of flexibility early on, handle a load of stuff for you, and that could pragmatically be a really good choice. But as you scale, that might not be the best choice going forward. So it's a massive trade-off, and that's the great thing about technology. I think is that we have, you know, we get the we're lucky enough to, to reason around these trade-offs, think about what they mean, and there's no one solution, there's no right answer. There's there's there really is a place for everything, um, and that's the fascinating thing, and that's why I'm thankful to all the other technologies that are out there you know for making this debate richer and more interesting and you know whenever i see something new or i see you know it's, it's really interesting to see what communities like postgres do and then watch what they're doing and then reflect on their approach see how it applies to the stack choices we've made so it's super interesting to see and i think we're very lucky to get to reason around those types of problems
0: so so which uh which technology is currently used in github that like hurts you the most that's like just the worst fit for the solution at hand.
2: I don't know. I, that's a difficult question to ask. You know? Is, um,
0: oh, come on! A guy in your position always has their like list of gripes that they wish was were different. I
2: do, but I can't. I couldn't apply the context um, enough over the medium of a podcast to ever really give people the kind of. The understanding of why i have these gripes you know it, it you've got to think about whether that technology is being used fairly for example for what it's meant to do i don't think there's anyone that's really a bad player right now i think because we've continually um we've continually been very you know focused around simplicity and not adding loads of new technologies to our stack i think we're in a pretty good spot in terms of what each technology is meant to be doing that could we could use things better we could we could build better but I you know nothing really comes to mind right away
1: so then if 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 you know you mentioned github getting more and more uh, simple basically you know the the underlying infrastructure and technologies that we're choosing now are are relatively simpler or things that we know very well but I'm curious um, from your side what are What are the things that you mentioned earlier, like, are bespoke? Where are we investing, or where is GitHub investing uh, the time and money to make something very specific that might just be for us and and not necessarily something we would pick off the rack?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. I mentioned we we, we work on things that are appropriately bespoke. So one thing I I think about and and we try and reflect on as a team is, is the thing we're doing right now, is this custom piece of work that we're doing appropriate for a code host uh, like the world's largest code host and if it is i think it, pass, it passes a good early test so we do a lot of work on git itself we've um backported a lot of performance improvements that we've made in in production to to git itself the open source project we're working on some really interesting projects unfortunately um we're not talking about right now but i would love to to follow back and when when we announce what we've been doing there um we have some really interesting things around how how git scales uh, and, and works, but we work on, you know, we've got custom proxies for that, that, that are aware of, you know, authenticating for Git from MySQL through the, the Ruby app. We have lots of, yeah, bespoke applications around Git, and that's when it's appropriate to be bespoke, right? You know, we're by no means the world's largest web app, uh, so is it appropriate for us to reinvent the wheel and re- rewrite new databases that are web? web apps use no um is it appropriate to write you know rewrite our application into um i say microservices right now probably not so it's all about asking when it's okay to be bespoke i think all that a lot of companies get that not invented here mentality and i don't think it serves them too well unless you know it's in their domain to be doing those kind of um custom applications and, and work so we question ourselves a lot whether it's appropriate for to do this specific uh, bespoke task or is it better to pull something off the shelf, make some small modifications to how we use it, and and then gain all that community knowledge, open source uh, insight, and all those things that you'd get from, from a, a decent ecosystem around a technology.
0: I have absolutely zero segue for this sponsor, so I'm just going to read it. <laughs> this is the this is the zero segue <laughs> sponsorship of the Ruby on Rails podcast. Uh, first sponsor is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting built for developers. Create a cloud server in fifty five seconds for as little as five bucks per month. DigitalOcean is built for developers and used by over four hundred thousand of them. It's highly scalable to meet the demands of a rapidly growing application or business. You can even resize your existing droplets to meet your needs as you grow. You can choose your, uh, your OS. They have one-click installs of uh, most of the apps that you'd be deploying. Now, their servers are built on hex core machines with dedicated ECC RAM and RAID SSD storage. They can have up to 20 CPUs, 64 gig of RAM, and 640 gigabytes of hard drive space. They have uh, servers in regions all over the world with gigabit speeds and 99.99% plus uptime, plus full-featured DNS management and auto backups and snapshots. So if you go to digitalocean.com, use the code Ruby Podcast. That's Ruby Podcast. You're going to get 10 bucks credit on your new account. I'd like to thank them for sponsoring. Okay. So does your job, Sam, include having opinions about I mean, everyone has opinions about JavaScript and job, JavaScript uh, um, frameworks, but does your job include having those opinions? And if so, tell me, tell me more about that.
2: My job really doesn't include having opinions about JavaScript. <laughs> the we're, we're really? So-,
0: so why not? It sounds so much like it
2: would.
1: No, Sam so, is legally obligated to never discuss JavaScript in public, <laughs> actually.
2: <laughs> We're so far down the stack with what we do in the systems team that I don't really think about it much. One thing I do know is the people that write JavaScript here are, are really amazing engineers. And um, I get—I think I would just listen to them, whatever they told me about JavaScript. Okay. Also, I, I, whenever I... I'm very very bad at JavaScript. All I I do like occasionally into my Twitter stream. I'll see see like new frameworks coming out and things like that. And it's kind of it's interesting to see how um, framework diverse JavaScript community is. But I really don't have any strong opinions. Like I, it would just be based on any uh, sort of JavaScript in, ignorance that I have if I was to start throwing opinions around there.
0: Okay, so that answer helped me understand your job better. So, so. Y- your job includes the kind of the services that the what people would imagine as the web app use. But not the yeah. web app itself, really.
2: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I you know, when I when I was a DBA here I dabbled with, you know, what the web app was doing, you know, in with any date with any database, like ninety nine percent of the success of that database is how your app uses it. And I was fortunate enough to work with an amazingly responsive set of developers. I talk, um, you know, when I talk to people about what it's like to be a DBA at GitHub, I think it's an incredibly fortunate position to be in. Our developers, I've never worked with anyone so responsive and who cares so much about the performance of our application. So being a DBA, you usually get stuff thrown out the, uh, over the wall. You You have to deal with... You know, bad queries, bad schema, and it's always a really one-sided thing. The DBA is is left for them to find and optimize these things, and that's the wrong way to approach it. You know, you can can take the best, most performant database server on Earth and just grind it to a halt with a few bad queries from, from your application. And I was very lucky when I would raise those... Um, issues and concerns, they would respond so, so quickly. And and now our developers are actually more familiar with some of the inner workings of how to grab performance data out of MySQL than I am myself. You know, they pick on new MySQL features and start working and understanding that. So just a shout-out to our uh, engineering team how amazing it is to work with them when it, from that side of the stack. is fantastic.
0: So can you tell me a bit about the process of going from... So, so GitHub originally was kind of just a regular old early days granted, but regular old rails app using active record and I'm sure active record generated queries. So w- how did things go from, you know, that, and maybe e- either the queries themselves being, uh, less than what you'd want, um, or, or the schema to your point being, being less. And like, w- what was the workflow of, you know, you see, or not just what was, but what was and what is the workflow of kind of go with the default rails query that, that active record would generate all the way through to kind of tune it to eke out the performance. That's going to really make a difference at scale. How does that, how does that collaboration work?
2: So a lot of it was, you know, providing uh, the insight for the developers. If you work with people that want to make positive change and want to, you know, work around performance, you know, it's about, creating a way for them to understand whether things aren't working well in production so we built a lot of tooling a lot of chat tooling by hubart to allow uh, people to get insights right away into whether queries were performing slowly uh, we also you know we also have like internal uh, we have a, an internal application called haystack, and basically every time a slow query comes up, it gets fired into haystack and you know it 's tracked and the frequency of how often it 's tracked where it 's coming from in the application so the initial step was a real visualization effort surfacing these um, these slower queries and then allowing um, the developers to find the source of them and if they were coming from you know active record for example maybe writing them in raw or sql to get that kind of performance and it so it's all been like piece by piece but the more you know every the more we kind of we traced around allow giving people like the automation or the tooling or the the visualizations to see how the applications running in production when accessing the database has has, that's yielded the most effort. So gaining the insight has been what's most important. Once you've got people that empathize with the problem and want to do the best they can do, uh, it's all about showing them where the problems are and letting them see it. So that's really the flow I adopted early on. You know, I could I could, I could, have sat and kind of picked query out piece by piece from like the MySQL slow log or whatever and raised issues each time, but that doesn't, just doesn't scale organizationally. So I actually invested more time in, in building um, tooling that shows Forever, how we can how how the app is performing with the databases.
0: So it's about detection and communication. It's not really a technical problem, given the engineering talent. It's it's just to make sure people are aware of what's going Absolutely.
2: on. Absolutely. So it's in, I think my, go ahead. sorry. Well, I think my message to everyone out there as a developer is usually if you see your database going slow, it's probably your fault and not the, <laughs> the actual database. I think that's how a lot of technologies get a really bad uh, rap They they they're used early on, you know. I, you, that is kind of like this usual story. Oh, the database is slow. They either, you know, chuck the database out and find something else when really it could just be adding an index or optimizing your query. Um, so it's, I think it's actually largely organizational and, and when it comes to those types of problems.
0: I think that that, that like uh, rule of thumb extends beyond the database. Like I think about that for most programming tasks that I'm working on. Like if there's a problem that seems weird, it's almost definitely me. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's good advice for, I think, newer programmers too, because I think uh, newer programmers have a knack for believing they found the bug, you know, <laughs> of course they didn't find the bug, uh, almost ever. Um, so as you mentioned that your tooling for kind of detecting and visualizing and communicating performance, um, query performance is bespoke. It's like a thing that you guys built. Is that right?
2: yes it hooks into yeah hooks into our applications that
0: way that's interesting so that sounds like a not good application of your previous sort of rules about what should be bespoke because there are really good community solutions for that i mean maybe commercial community solutions and probably some okay open source um, solutions too so, what's yeah. the? How, how do you sort of go through making the choice about whether to sort of keep and maintain that for GitHub versus using either open source or commercial services to do that work?
2: So, because at a certain sc- oh, excuse me, um, because at, at um, a certain scale everything kind of breaks down eventually. Um, it becomes you know we need more and more slightly bespoke systems, solutions, and you know we have used off the shelf things in the. And it just, you know, when you're when you need the amount of flexibility we do, uh, um, sometimes it's easier to, to roll your own in that sense. And you know, again, you're right; it's something custom to us. But Carl uses it, and I, you know, I'm sure you, you see the the amount of uh, great things we get from running that kind of thing internally and yeah, hooking yeah. it into um, our application. Now, it's been with us for years, so would we? Again, if we started now, would we be able to pull these types of thing off the shelf potentially but it's that's again it's a context thing I think um I know certainly in the last year or a couple of years, there's been some amazing products that have come out that are commercial around like data stores and things that are just they are fantastic, and we've dabbled with them and they, we still kind of use them for some smaller smaller tasks.
0: So that I understand sort of where the overlap is between <clears throat> your tools and what I'm imagining is for sale, for example, out there, so uh take like the usual suspects on performance monitoring, like New Relic or skylight or app signal um it is it it sound like there it sounded like there was a pretty big overlap between what they provide on the query performance side and what this provides is that right or does it do a whole bunch of things that they don't do and not a ton that it does or that they do
2: i think now they're probably closer yeah um it, it there's there's some really amazing elements that we do we get from it that i don't i haven't looked at those products in a, in a long time actually um i'm sure they are getting a lot closer actually but there's some stuff that we can do with this you know we can we can tie it down to every request if you know if we get an issue we can see if it's coming for a specific user specific repositories or organizations we can even you know from this you can actually find a slow query and it gives you the entire um, backtrace of to where that query came from so you can actually just click and get to the exact line that generated that query within our app so there's some really nice awesome Bespoke features that we have, how that ties up to some of the commercial offerings out there, I'm not completely sure. But again, it's would it be pragmatic to try and switch, pragmatic to try and switch one of those things now? Probably not. Also, when you run, you know, um, at some of the scale we're running at, it's sometimes easier to take hold of that um, yourselves and, and and not rely on a third party.
0: Does Git? So this is a dumb question, but is GitHub scale really super big? Like I mean, anyway, I know it's big compared to the vast majority of applications that people that would be listening uh, would run, but is it a is it a big web application? I don't. I just have, I don't have an idea of that.
2: I've, in terms of the internet,
0: yeah. Like I mean, like how does how do, how does one even met, like bigger than a bread box, smaller than a house, sort of measure <laughs> the scale of these things? It's,
1: it's three bigs, Sean.
2: Yeah, three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our web app, yeah, that's actually an interesting thing. It goes back to the bespoke uh appropriate bespoke technologies are we the so if scale's relative, which I think it is we're certainly the largest scale code host, which means we get the problems that you would expect and you know they're usually bespoke in terms of the web app no it's definitely not the largest web app around um in, the, in terms of Rails scale it's probably up there uh, I think if you look at our like alexa ranking GitHub's I think the ninetieth most visited site on the internet so it's kind of that's quite Quite large scale, I would say, but uh, probably a medium scale web web app when you stack the web up, I would say, um, so yeah, we see problems that it would be really inappropriate for us to roll our own for around the the web app, and certainly for the git infrastructure, then it's really appropriate to be rolling our own there
0: that's an int- yeah exactly so that's an interesting question. I wonder like what like what's what's ninety one you know, like, because like, GitHub seems like such a huge thing if you're a programmer, right? Because it's just, it, it's such a part of the community and such a part of your daily world. But I bet we'll be surprised if we look at it's like, you know, similarly sized in terms of request volume apps uh, on the internet. It's going to be like, you know, genius.com or something like for, you know, rap lyrics. Uh, like, that's my guess. It's going to be something about that, like the, the that we wouldn't think is quite as big, but, but, you know, has so much more read activity than GitHub does that it ends yeah, up being want, big
2: too. In the like in the um being a developer or, or a technical person, GitHub is uh you know, it's the core of that. Not, not just working there, but like the the workflow, you know, everyone before joining GitHub, I I knew about GitHub and um used it and I think, you know, most of our audience probably do. Um I, our audience on the podcast. Um so it's kind of interesting our world, is huge, but you know when you tell your mum, d- my mum doesn't really know what what it's all about if i'd have chosen to work at a, a different company with a you know a more um user i i guess like a more commercial product i suppose then um No, what am I trying to say? If I was working at, say, something that's more focused around, I don't know, if I worked for a a social media site, for example, it'd be a lot easier to explain to my mum what I was up to. But I kind of, GitHub is very much focused on a a very technical audience. So yeah, in our world, it's huge, but probably not as it stacks up against all the other sites online.
0: Well, familiarity is a pretty big multiplier on things, you know, so... Like prestige is familiarity times whatever the actual good of the thing. I think that just is true for how big something is, you know, like it just seems bigger if you know about it. Um mm-hmm. yeah. than if you don't. I should do the second sponsor with absolutely no segue. It's Casper, your online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry is inherently Uh, force consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Well, Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. A Casper mattress provides resilience and long lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress is one of a kind. It's a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. They've combined those two technologies. uh, So you get, uh, Hey Kyle, do you remember what you get because of this? A combination of technologies
1: spring and bounce
0: <laughs> it's sink and bounce but Damn. <laughs> spring and bounce is the same thing that'd be like saying just the right bounce just the right bounce just the right sink just the right bounce sir <laughs> anyways that, that that comes together for better nights and brighter days it's 500 bucks for a twin size mattress and 950 dollars for a king size mattress you can compare that to industry averages and you're saving a bunch of money uh, buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and uh, free returns within a hundred day period. It's that simple. So where can you go to find out more? Go to, uh, I think they have Casper.com. Yep. Casper.com They used to have a longer one. Uh, if you use the code Ruby on rails, uh, that's Ruby on rails at Casper.com. You're going to get $50 towards any mattress that you purchase. Terms and conditions apply, so uh, look at that on the website. Thanks to Casper for supporting the show.
2: I can segue out of that and say oh, I have a Casper mattress, and I love it. I've you bought do? It three weeks yeah. I bought, I mean, <laughs> Asterisk, Sean, uh, Sam was not paid to say that. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I moved to San Francisco recently. And that's the first thing I bought, and I absolutely love it. Hmm.
0: Is it. So what is the... So we read that just the right sink, just the right bounce. Like, what does that mean in terms of actual experience of laying on the thing? Like, does it seem like that? Or is that just like a little jingly expression?
2: Yeah, I I really like a solid, firm mattress. And um, it's kind of firm in the right way and just soft. It's just really good. I don't know. Like that does sound almost quite marketing, but it's <laughs> it's it's just really nice. Like I don't I don't like choice. I don't have to work out what the best thing to sleep on is. So they say they do that, and I ordered it, and that works. <laughs> I like to minimal. <laughs> thinking pragmatically, I don't have time to work out what a good mattress is.
0: Oh man, awesome! That could be that could be the slogan too. Listen, you don't have time to deal with this.
1: Yeah.
0: casper.com. Oh
1: man. Now I really like, now I honestly feel like I need to look at one of these mattresses. <laughs> I thought
0: about it when we, um, when we moved to this house, but, uh, I came home and was ready to say to Teresa, Hey, I, I think we should get one of the mattresses. And, and there was like a box at the door with mattress in it. So, so much for that plan. Problem solved. <clears throat> Okay. So tell me a bit about the, the culture around looking at a sort of new solution to an existing problem. So let's take that example of the sort of bespoke tool you've got for surfacing um, performance issues and the source of them. So let's say someone came to a meeting tomorrow and it was like, Hey, uh, we should try app signal, new relic skylight, whatever, right? We should try, uh, the this, this thing that sort of solves the same problem because many people are in that boat. And I feel like, you know, uh, We get a lot of features we don't have right now and, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to make the move or whatever. How does that go? Like if someone's going to be successful, how do they, how does that work where you actually do make a change or is that a complete non-starter where everyone would look at them and be like, really, really, Kyle? Uh, Come on.
1: Wow. (laughs) I don't know. I I was looking for, uh,
0: (laughs) no, not Kyle Daigle. Real, really Kyle Smith. That's what I meant. Uh. yeah
2: kyle smith right well <laughs> um so i'm probably overcautious with new technologies so i usually just be like uh maybe not but really it's about looking at like asking the questions about what i thought you know if, we, if someone says we should try this it's really good to ask why what specific issue are you seeing that that this would solve and why is what we've already got so far away from solving that problem that we couldn't in the same time or less time fit what we've already got to fix that problem. So is or, there
0: is there an example so so the examples you gave so far of, of something going from bespoke to call it not bespoke I think were all examples of where kind of uh, another like an additional technology like Redis in the example was left in favor of just using one of your core technologies more like MySQL? Is there an example where it wasn't sort of retreating back to part of the base, but instead adding something new that would be interesting to talk through?
2: Mm. Can, you re- uh, can you repeat that? I'm not quite sure the question.
0: So the the, uh, the examples before were like, you know, uh, over time, new uh, new services like Redis for storing uh, uh, certain global data were introduced, and then uh, the, you saw problems with that. So that you solve that problem by um, kind of doubling down on an even more core technology like MySQL, yeah. but. Are there examples where instead of it being like double down on the existing technology, like MySQL, instead, a new like a new service got added? Because because it seems like the flow that we're talking about is like over time, uh, there's like a retreat to better use of the original technologies chosen. Like, I think yes. that that would be like a, a summary of what I've heard.
2: Yes, the- absolutely. A new technology. Actually, Kyle might be able to speak to this. Kyle uh, just did a load of work on a new newish queuing system, if I'm if I remember correctly.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing a little bit of work with uh, hooks on basically, you know, when the existing when we are using an existing system like Rescue or whatever right now, and things you know begin to fall down or we have some problems. There's just some systemic problems that cannot be solved by, uh, you know. Improving what you currently have, kind of like Sam said about, you know, Redis is meant to do one thing. When you make it try to do something it's not built to do, it kind of breaks apart. And so most of the time when it come, when we as an engineer start to realize that this is going wrong, uh, you know, we can reach out both to infrastructure, to Sam, uh, his team, you know, and try to say, hey, this is, ex- this is this one piece of technology or one part of a uh, piece of technology that... Won't ever do what we need it to do. It's just not intended to do that. And so we could decide to rewrite it, we could decide to augment it ourselves, or we could go use this other thing that has been working very well uh, for other people. Uh, maybe we do a tiny, tiny deployment of it to non-production traffic or something like that, just to prove the point. Um, in engineering, we have this whole separate system called Science that can do that as well uh, to make it easy for us to prove to folks like Sam that, yep, well, you know, when we make this big change, uh, we're not actually going to be killing MySQL. Um, those are all things that are sort of part of the engineering side of the pact. Uh, you know when 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 we decide, yep, we should make a change, we want to make this change now someone someone that will be responsible for running this forever uh agree <laughs> to let us do that
0: It does seem like it like the summary that I said a minute ago is like a pretty good rule of thumb for everyone, which is like if faced with a choice about how to do something in your application or application stack um then the best answer, if it seems like you need a new technology, is to just use the technologies you already use smarter. Like, that seems like a pretty good basic, you know, basic answer to most problems. Yeah. Like, Facebook is a great a great example of this, right? So, Facebook, like, biggest web application, you know, not counting Google that exists, use PHP and MySQL, like, too, too much maligned I mean, especially PHP and to some degree my SQL. You know, things that people don't like to start with as much um, anymore, and you know, it works at their scale, and they do phenomenally complicated and interesting things. Uh, and so, if like that, that approach of like figure out how to use PHP and my better works for them, probably works for you too. Not to say PHP and my SQL, but just like keep going on with whatever you've started with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. People like to ask me a lot on whether it's just to try and troll me or whatever but I, they they'd always say something like oh i heard my scale doesn't scale and i'd reply with well oh. unless you count facebook scale as scale then yeah maybe it doesn't you know it's like <laughs> there's a lot of people using it and until you are you know running a mat, like a, a scale where you see those things break down then it's i think it's okay well, i think it's i was i did a, just did a talk at Future Stack actually about the argument for simplicity and one of the things i talked about was I think there's a confusion with the idea that we're building systems and we're building, you know, websites that, you know, do various different things. And it's, it's like a complex task. Like the overall, what we're trying to do is complicated. And I think we use that in a way to reassure ourselves that the solutions we then build can also be complicated. And I think it like it slips in. It's not really, I think it's just a human trait, really, that complexity can slip in. So like, when you look at, I don't know, the the landmass that is the San Francisco Bay, and you look at like the task of crossing that in a, in a bridge, it's like this huge, complex task. There's so much like just physics that you know to, to accomplish this. But when you look at the bridge, it's actually this beautiful, almost simple-looking um, design. And I think it's that's elegance, right? It's it's solving very complex, difficult tasks with simplicity. And I think. You know, if we, if we remind ourselves that you can still solve complicated problems with, with chunks of simplicity, you then, you know, it makes better systems for what we build. And if we reassure ourselves that, oh, this is a complex problem, so it's okay to have a complex solution, then we'll see more and more complexity um, slip in and we'll stop building on the foundations of what's come before us and we won't grow as an industry.
0: I mean, what's the uh, the intermediate complexity that basically all systems see? At least that I've ever been involved with, and GitHub Story is the same. It's got to be serving some purpose. So, what is it? Um, do systems need to go through sort of this adolescent complexity in order to find sort of a, a simplicity ultimately, or is that avoidable?
2: I don't really know. I think it's avoidable if you're lucky enough to hire tons of people that have seen all this before or that have just tons of experience and just know how they would do it all again. Oh boy.
0: Again. Wicked eye roll from the community on that one too, I yeah. think. I, I don't I don't buy that one at all.
2: Well, that's what I mean, and that's a privileged position, and I don't think anyone has actually ever managed to do that, you know. That's <laughs> know. no one is in that position because why would you get why would you be able to hire those people to start working on tiny uh-
0: I've worked. With, I don't know. I'm. I, I'm saying you assemble, you handpick the crew people from GitHub that you want. There's plenty of them. You start something new. Uh, let's talk in five years and let's see what happened. Uh, I. I'll bet all the money on it. Got complex in the middle.
2: Yeah, I probably would as well. I think it's an impossible task to to truly avoid complexity. And I think there's that. I think it's probably the teenage years of every project where things just. You know, due to time constraints, necessity, whatever complexity just gets built in, and that's fine and the truth like based on with everything I've said today, you know it's it's totally okay that all these things happened, complexity builds in, we choose technologies that may not be right, and it's the overall thing is that that's fine, and I think it's normal and natural, you know it's only human beings that are creating this stuff, but we can still make it easier on ourselves by still thinking about what serves us and what doesn't when it comes to technical choices.
0: I think the teenage analogy actually may be better than I originally realized when I said it. Because like, so when you think about teenagers, like in a lot of ways, they're awful to deal with, right? They're just, you know, they're self-centered and they think they know it all and they really don't know anything. And, and uh, you know, they're smelly. There's a bunch of stuff that's wrong. Um, but I think that like, it can be easy to get annoyed with them. Like, and just wish that they, you know, were fully formed adults. And by teenagers, I mean like 13 to 25 ish, uh, you know, it, it, uh, your results may vary by person, but like a pretty big range where people are, are not super mature, but not little kids anymore. And, and maybe it's sort of healthy just to see that, you know, there's no other way. Like you have to go through it. And maybe seeing, you know, maybe seeing applications that way would, would sort of alleviate the guilt and resentment of the teenager application.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's completely normal and it's fine. And it's almost what's so interesting about our industry. Like we're just, we're continually learning what it means to build these things. It's it's fair. Ellie Young and it's yeah I think it's it's not only okay it's expected
0: Uh, let me tell you about (laughs) lynda.com do it (laughs) I'm gonna jump right to it Uh, lynda.com here we go is uh, the online learning platform with over 3000 on demand video courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. You can get a free 10 day trial. If you go to lynda.com that's dot com slash Ruby on rails. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website or boost your Photoshop skills. If you go to lynda.com, you can feed your curious mind. I've mentioned before that I have not taken their programming classes like RSpec Testing Framework with Ruby or Code Clinic Ruby or any of the JavaScript classes, but I have. Use them to brush up on my um, very limited design skills. And I found that to be very effective. Uh, you should uh, give it a shot yourself. Again, you can go to lynda.com. You'll get a membership that gives you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. You get a free 10 day trial where you get access to all of that at lynda.com slash Ruby on Rails. Thanks to them for sponsoring. End of sponsorships. End <laughs> of sponsorships. <clears throat> uh, cool. Well, I, this has been, uh, this has been interesting to me
2: Good,
0: because like, I think that, uh, do you think this is fair that, that your job at GitHub is like four fifths, I mean, especially now. So like w- w- beyond the, beyond the period where there were significant modifications happening to Git and sort of the core infrastructure on which the Git web app sat. Um, But at this point, it's largely around sort of counseling the people to get sort of more in touch with the core and fold things back into a set of sort of base principles that you've adopted now. Is that does that sound fair instead of sort of exploring new things?
2: yeah it's it's certainly um is something that I advocate a lot for internally and so do a lot of my colleagues i think we're just we're we're just about there i think it's just it's about staying like disciplined when we when we think about these things it's certainly i care, something I care about a lot and and discussing these things internally allows us to make sure that we're 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 on the right path and we're using and like you know it's just, i think it 's just important to know why you 're not using a technology as as much as why you are using it, and we definitely do explore you know it 's not this kind of dogmatic approach that we take we really are open to new technologies, new ways of doing things, and we have to be because you know as we scale and as we grow new problems will present themselves and new solutions could be exactly what's right for that um so i'm definitely not saying that everything has been developed right now that will serve us going forward um it's just it's something to just kind of reflect on continually and keep going and um there's loads of amazingly new technologies out there that as they mature as they they get their trial files in production, that they'll they'll be great and they'll serve us with exactly what we need to do. So there's no hardline, dogmatic approach to any of this. I think it's just reflecting on some of the things that we know and that we prefer to choose and go from there and see, um, see how this holds up. And the exciting thing is, like, I love changing my opinions on these things and I love seeing what makes these opinions change and being open to change, open to changing how you think about these things and being at a place where all the ideas you have around technology will get tested and pushed. It's an incredibly good position to be in.
0: So fun last topic. So if if sort of that couple year, three year in explosion of using sort of new technologies and more complicated infrastructures is the teenage years of an application. And then like right now where GitHub is, where things have sort of settled in, I'm going to call this like the thirties and forties, right? Like the the, okay. the pre midlife, like what's the midlife crisis of an application then? It's like, what, where do things destabilize again? Do you think like, cause I don't think, I think GitHub's pre midlife crisis, so, but I th- I would bet applications follow this sort of organic sort of experience that people do or uh, where they then have, you know, there, there's a second period of sort of destabilization of the self. What, what, what's, do you think so? Do you think that's the case? And if so, what do you think happens?
2: I think that's probably when colossal scale sets in when every technology pro- probably breaks down in some way and I think that could be the the phase in one's life where we get used to knowing what we, we're not good at and what we don't know and kind of accepting that embracing it and just doing the best we can with, you know. Like, if we hold our, if we hold our, sta- our standard as being nothing ever fails, then we'll never be happy with what we're building. Um, if we understand that things fail, but we can ensure that that's partial failure, uh, that's the real maturity levels, I think. So pretending that databases don't crash is just nonsense, but making sure that there's a significant amount of them so that when one does crash, it impacts, impacts a tiny amount of people for a very short amount of time that's when real maturity comes in really embracing partial failure and really understanding that it will 100% happen especially the larger you get you know if you tightly bind yourself to surface it the services the larger you get you're just increasing the number of power supplies it takes to keep your site up and while you're doing that you're just actually increasing the chance mm-hmm. of failure so So segmenting that and making sure that when these things do fail, like I I can imagine at Facebook scale when they're running like hundreds of thousands of hosts, the amount of failures they must see per day.
0: Oh, my goodness. uh,
2: Just hardware failures must be colossal. And so then having an application that's mature enough to just go, okay, I'm not going to completely freak out and take the site down. I'm just going to – this is going to affect like 100 users for the next 15 seconds that's when I think real maturity comes into your application and and should you be building apps like that now in your teenage years? absolutely not should you be uh should you feel bad for not developing apps like that in your teenage years? absolutely not you've got to keep going and hope those problems come to you because then you must be doing something right
0: so I think that was a super clever answer and i I think that makes me think that i well, let me pitch something to you then on, uh, uh, evidence that the community is, is having some midlife crisis right now. So if you're right, that sort of, uh, post midlife crisis, like we'll call it the fifties and sixties and seventies is about accepting your own sort of mortality, the, the mortality of your application, right? That it will fail. Yeah. And like you are who you, you know, you got to deal with it then. And then the midlife crisis portion of an application or organization's existence is like the denial of that like in sort of the 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 um after you should know better pursuit of immortality you know kind of like like, like people go through uh that seems to me to be why people rail against microservices at mid-sized companies that aren't yet big mm. because it's it's saying no, you know, that just means that things will fail. And I've got a, a good, like personal story related to this in a second, but, uh, yeah, th- you know, no dummy. That means that you're, you know, now just in, you know, increasing the number of potential failure points. And now you have to account for all those. And, and I know that it's better to have a monolith where nothing will fail and then there will be no problems. And that's because I know better. That's the midlife crisis. Like, that, 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 like, almost, like, visceral distaste for the increased failure points for microservices. Now, like everything, there's some good truth in the distaste for them. But, my, I think that the, like, sometimes it feels frothy, like it peaks almost, the distaste for it. And I bet this is why.
2: Could potentially be. Microservices is a really interesting one. I saw a good debate on Twitter, actually. I can't remember who was involved. But basically, you know, so someone was looking into microservices, and the, the question was like oh this looks good but like why why you know a lot of it's you know i can see why people do it but i think you'd you'd have to be for me it'd have to be a real pragmatic discussion around and why to move to microservices and then take a partial approach as well you know the off and on i think technology is so dogmatic at times about these things i think we get really it's all or nothing come with us adopt our tech or don't I think it's it doesn't do us a service as an industry. I think you know, extracting smaller chunks out of your application as you grow and doing it that way, and if you end up with microservices, that may be the right solution for you. But I also see, I hear of stories of companies that have way prematurely probably done this, and I just wonder. I really wonder. Again, I, it's context. I don't get. I don't get the privilege understand those problems for those companies but it's interesting
0: well you do the same i mean many of the same things you do in your adolescence you do in your midlife crisis so it makes sense i mean like going with this analogy at least
2: yeah yeah is it yeah maybe you're just more okay with those things in your midlife crisis in your after the midlife crisis
0: or you yeah right um
2: we've gone really far into this analogy it's
1: yeah and you have more money (laughs) and children probably
2: yeah children
0: Well, I just think it's, it's interesting to me to think through it because I think that, I think that there's a thread through the whole conversation, which is that like, like the word pragmatism, I think, uh, evoked this in me, which is that from anyone's perspective, what's pragmatic seems clear. And you have to be careful not to like project that worldview out to out onto others too aggressively because their context is not your context. And the thing that makes sense for them, um, is different than what makes sense for you for reasons that have much more to do with the differences between you and them than the problem space itself. Um, and like, that's, I think that's a, an off forgotten issue, an off forgotten sort of thing.
2: I agree with you. So, as an industry maybe we shouldn't just rail on each other's technologies and be nice to each other uh understand that we we our uh, problems are completely different that's why i try not to talk about anyone else's technical choices or technologies i know why i've chosen mine from my context and my viewpoint and let's as an industry talk more about what we value from technologies and 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 the act of pragmatism and what it does for you and and talk about those kind of maybe it might be a fluffier subject or whatever like if we talk about the approaches and the philosophies more more than the, the actual specific technologies, because those things are the reasons behind those. You can probably never know at a company unless yeah. they're just so extremely about what they're choosing things. Well, it's like, a, it's I a rather,
0: humanist, it's a humanist answer. You know, yeah. it's like, like, how do you, you know, how do you cure someone's racism is get them to see everyone as a person. And then, you know, I mean, that's not to say that it always works, but that's the answer is that, or how, how do you, racism, nationalism, you know, classism, you, you name the, the sort of I'm different than you, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, problems that happen. And the answer is always to, to see that they're just the same as you are, actually. Uh, yeah. And so same, you know, no shock here that the same goes for sort of disagreements about the efficacy of various technologies. Which is to see that, say that it actually doesn't matter much because it, the, the actual point is that um, they're being used for reasons and those reasons are human.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I just, it would be lovely if people adopted that. You know, the discussion, like all these, all the discussions around technology online, you know, they, even if they start out really well, do end up coming into those, like, I've chosen this and this is better for this reason. I just think it's silly, it's wrong. And, it will be nice if when we get past that and just when maybe the industry is so like technically diverse with all these different solutions and people are sure on why they're using them and communicating about why they're using them um you know people will share that understanding more and and be more open to each other's solutions and and approaches
0: now kyle sometimes either rolls his eyes or uh, has a funny thing to say when the conversations turn philosophical like this. Have you been rolling your eyes, Kyle?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. What, what were you guys talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've really subscribed to, you know, in a way, Sam's and GitHub's, you know, I don't know, like, I, 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 I'm the type of person that when I start a project, like you said, you know, and when we said earlier in the episode, I pick the things I know. And then as it grows, I'm going to, you know, scale and change those things uh, as it makes sense. And sometimes when you're at a smaller scale, like on a side project or a smaller startup, you add a, just a whole new technology or you add a new relic or whatever, um, you know. And I think some of the things that GitHub values, uh, you know... Um, like like Sam said, you know, having some of these internal systems that are just for us, uh, because we really value the ability to track our errors very specifically, for example, uh, you know, might in some ways be hurting us, but it's something that we value. And so until that value changes, you know, we're going to keep investing in that one system instead of switching to a third party tool or whatever, um, you know, and so... Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't I, I think you're right. You know, I think the uh, the midlife crisis analogy before we got to Social Security and Medicare and everything was was doing pretty well, um, but I think that you know at the end of the day, uh, GitHub's problems probably aren't your problems, and your problems may not be GitHub's problems. You know, uh, it's more just a matter of we uh, we and Sam, you know, uh, allow the developers at GitHub to be able to do cool things um, you know by sort of taking uh, away some of the hard uh, systems choices you know that people like Sam and his team are are really good at and vice versa for Sam not having an opinion on javascript frameworks
0: you <laughs> right. know well i think yeah. that so so here's a here's like a summary piece of advice that i would relay off this conversation either to you know advice for myself or advice for someone else which is like <clears throat> wherever you came from technology wise here is likely where you're going to end up and you'll go explore some other things along the way, which is f- fine, but just like don't forsake where you came from because like that core probably is going to take you the long term. And I think that's actually like pretty good advice. Like yeah. I've, I've built lots of things and I, that advice would have worked on every one of them.
1: So would this be a bad time to announce my retirement from rails development?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to forsake the yeah, yes, you missed that piece of
2: oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Well well you can go you can go explore other things. You probably shouldn't announce how it's <laughs> it's, it's bad. Oh, man. Well it is interesting like this is for another show, but it is an interesting like word of caution about um approaches to using Elixir in Phoenix for people that are in Rails. Which is just to say, it's probably a good idea to go take a look, but like, be a little careful on the, you know, burn the bridges deal on this one. Um.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I when when you read some of these discussions out there, you, you know, sometimes you, the reason people have chosen technology doesn't get any more deep than they read a blog post that other companies and they you know they use, and it's kind of yeah, I can see why people do it, but also you have to understand those those. Other companies are dealing with a different problem set as well, and a technology area. I think it's about finding what works for you as a as a, a group and a, and a company. And oh. it's interesting what you say about the origins there. Actually, when I read back some of the the writings of our early engineers at GitHub, that very much had that very pragmatic Unixy style philosophy. Um, it's amazing how that shaped us, and I think we're extremely lucky that they they had those thoughts early on um and i I still refer back to stuff that was written years and years and years ago and reflect on the ways we're doing things now and it's actually amazing how um those philosophies have held up
0: well i think that there's a i think there's something interesting about your blog post um comment there which is like as long as what you picked was used by a sufficient base of people like as long as it wasn't just a, a bad in all cases option you know as long as it was like a reasonable choice on the on the sort of uh on the efficient frontier of the uh, solution space it actually p- picking some random blog post to read and go with is probably as good of an answer as any other one because we've already said that you're going to tend to stick with whatever you go went with and that it's virtues actually don't matter past the initial part because you're going to stick with it because it's what you have, not because it's the best. Anyhow, it like pragmatically, you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe like that's it's sort of like in, not to I've already talked some about uh, politics. So here's the religion example. I think there's like a philosophy that says you could just pick a religion and go with it. And, you know, as like, if you've like followed it reasonably, you'd probably be just as well off with one as any other. And I think that there's like a corollary there with, uh, with technologies that's probably sort of accurate. Uh, yeah,
2: if, if it serves the same basic need, I guess. it's Yeah, down, right. Down to the specifics. That's actually, when it comes to hiring, it's quite interesting. Um, we, we also hire quite generically. So we look for the traits that we want in an engineer. Um, and so, you know, we hire some engineers that don't, haven't actually done Ruby or, or Rails at all to work on our app. But they've seen a lot of the core elements of engineering. They know how things break down. They know what types of failure to embrace. They know the, the, the core kind of domain that we're working in. And then being able to pick up Rails and Ruby is just the specifics of that. And it's easier to teach someone, I think, the, the, the Rails way of doing things than it is to teach someone uh, experience and essentially to give them the battle scars yourself. Um, if you can hire people with those battle scars and then adopt them onto your technologies, um, you serve that need of you know real experience in, in in at a larger scale, and then the specifics almost don't matter at that point. Well,
0: I suspect at this point that the sort of the Rails way of doing thing is like one part to the ten parts the GitHub way of doing things in the what you'd need to learn if you worked at GitHub like in other words like if like take yeah. like like i know the rails way of doing things and i've been you know i'm a pl- plenty good engineer and if i came into github most of what i'd need to know wouldn't be that and would be how does github do things i bet
2: what do you think kyle i think there's de- definitely some, a lot of railsy stuff um still being done There's there's the appropriate leading like there's some things that just rails doesn't can, can't do for us and it nor that should it be trying almost? Because then at our scale it becomes just bespoke and one size fits all solution does wouldn't matter. But I'd be interested in what Kyle thinks there. As someone who pokes around the Rails that more than me.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably more the Ruby way of doing things than the Rails way of doing things. I mean mm-hmm. we we, yeah. we you know GitHub's always sort of struggled to keep up with the Rails versions, uh, you know, because we've it's been working on the lower versions and so as we go up, we probably lose more and more of the Rails way, you know, in giant air quotes and it's more just about how to how to write ruby well how to write you know uh object-oriented ruby well performant ruby well uh that's something that like sam said i mean you can still hire uh engineers who have the experience of writing performant code maybe in other languages and teach the ruby way as you go
0: right so it's like sort of like it's
1: way less important i would say just sort of in general
0: what what version is it now on
1: um are we on four i think
0: oh okay
2: maybe not sure It might be high threes. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is. Dot GitHub. (laughs) It's actually high threes. I seem to remember someone cherry picking something from four recently in a pull request. So I Mm -hmm. think we're not quite at four yet. Yeah. It's a slower process to to, to do those upgrades.
0: Yeah.
1: And I will say, too, just just because Sam either uh, didn't mention it or rather, you know, was is too shy to say, most of the discussion today has been around, you know, technology choices like choosing MySQL or Postgres or choosing, you know, whatever. Um, but there, I would say that a lot of what Sam's team does is solving, like, really gnarly engineering problems that, you know, are just, per, you know, just programming. You know, it's it's rewriting some little piece in C using a much better algorithm that someone really smart at GitHub came together. Like, I'm thinking of Vicent, Top of Mind, and GitHubEngineering.com, yep. the blog that they uh, that GitHub runs. Um, there There is a huge part of systems, which isn't just, you know, let's make sure that my SQL is replicated and available. It's, a, you know, a whole other part of, let's get these tiny blobs out of Git very quickly, and this isn't something that we're going to add to Git. It's something that GitHub the company needs so let's write it and see you know very performantly doing this one specific thing um there's a whole bunch of that you know engineering side too that isn't just uh
0: you know spinning up these various services that we all need well that that, i think that that point is like intimately tied with the whole conversation which is like when you have a systems team that's ethos is to try to encourage people to use the existing sort of core tools to their, to the best of their abilities before doing something new that buys you a whole bunch of time and capacity and expertise to actually work on sort of core system improvement, not like standing up yet another infrastructure for yet another right tool. I, I think that, so i don't think i think those things are like deeply related because like in that adolescent period you don't have that you know usually the infrastructure team is overworked just trying to hold the whole thing together they never work on low-level stuff like actually improving the low-level performance of the core bits that are getting called a trillion times a day um
2: yeah by having that narrow stack um you know smaller improvements there raise a lot of boats and um yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's also it's a choice. So where do you want to innovate? Do you want to choose boring technologies and, and not innovate on your stack and innovate on your product? I think that's probably a better choice for most people. Um, you can. I think uh, again, I think we get confused as engineers that we should be necessarily doing things new and interesting and, um, in our stack. And maybe that's not right. Maybe we maybe we should just be choosing boring tech and innovating elsewhere, where we where we can make, make more difference.
0: And a, in whether boring is in the global context or in your context, I think is a, is an important point from the conversation. You know, in other words, Ruby's boring to you and not boring to the rest of the world. Uh, like it, it for many people, Ruby would be, <laughs> yeah. Ruby would be seen as the, the, on the, I mean, not anymore, but back then on the edge choice, but to you, it's the boring thing because it's what you chose in the first place. Back, back to the sort of Absolutely. humanist philosophy on this.
2: Again, yes. boring's relative, I suppose. <laughs> Well, I I think, int- I think Ruby's got less of that reputation now, though. I think it's been you know around yeah. and is mature enough that you know people see it as a more like well-founded option.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's right. I think you know you'd still have people seeing any garbage-collected scripting language as uh, being sort of categorically off of you know categorically maybe more risky than than something that wasn't but 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 i don't i I don't necessarily think that and i don't think it even matters i think that whatever one picks is fine and you know
2: absolutely i agree
0: so i've enjoyed it sam i hope i hope you did hope this was what you hoped for
2: (laughs) it was good (laughs) why is kyle
0: laughing i didn't even make a joke (laughs)
1: i don't know i i I feel like um if if you both were in the same room i feel like i'd be watching a ping pong match you know and i'm just the guy over in the corner drinking his poland spring cherry lemonade uh sparkling water
0: (laughs) well i think this conversation sort of reveals a uh, personality flaw in me which is that uh kyle's like oh we should have sam on he's this is how kyle talks about you he's you know wicked smart guy with a good accent uh that would be a good show. And I said, "Oh." Okay.
1: Clear I literally said that to Sam in Chat this morning. <laughs> I think we spent 15 minutes talking about how his accent was going to be very good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so anyways, so I'm like, oh, "Okay, well, I guess this means that that uh like Kyle must want a lively conversation, but I don't even know why I thought that." I <laughs> probably should ask Kyle.
2: Lively's good. Lively <laughs> Life is fine. It gets the it's, good.
1: it's better than sitting here and all of us just patting each other on the back about how smart we are yeah
2: yeah let's not never do that never i am do. i am pretty smart
0: yeah i was gonna say well sam is obviously very smart and the accent's nice so uh, as advertised
2: Could, maybe it's just the accent but we'll, we'll never find out <laughs> you know
0: use what you got
2: yeah awesome that <laughs> all
0: right sam you want to you want to plug anything
2: um Use GitHub for all your development needs, maybe.
1: No, uh, no, Sam, 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 we're hiring.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, and we're also hiring.
0: <laughs> Kyle, would <laughs> Sam so like we, to uh, plug anything? <laughs>
2: yeah, sorry. <laughs> so here's, what, here's what I'm going to plug. I'll give a serious answer. We're hiring. We're hiring people from all backgrounds, from all around the world. Don't just feel excluded by the stack choices we've done. If you love of engineering and you're super passionate about building something that really does impact the world come and speak to us. Um, don't worry about the specifics of any job role. You know, we're interested in in good engineers and people that want to make a, a change. And I'll also plug our engineering blog, githubengineering.com. It's how we share the knowledge that we're gaining, doing what we're doing while we're on this journey to to build this product and this stack. And um, we've got some great authors going up there sharing, sharing what they love doing at the company. So definitely go and check that out. And yeah, that's all I really have to plug.
0: I love posts like that. <clears throat> I uh, I don't I don't know the last time that I looked at the blog on purpose, but I've looked at you know tons of articles over the years and love them.
2: Yeah, it's yeah I, I, doing doing the engineering blog and seeing what you have to share is a really good reflection point. Just just you know the seeing the reaction, you know the people out there that read our our, our posts and come back with thoughtful replies, or just you know just some thing, just say they've just really enjoyed reading it. Just it feels so good to know that um, people. Care about what we're doing, and some interesting feedback I got after my talk was actually like, they, this person came up to me and they said, um, "Thank you for for talking about these simple technologies." They felt they felt like in their organisation, like they they were fighting against this this cr- cr- kind of creepy need for new complexity. And and he said, you know, just hearing it from someone that's working on a bigger site or a product that he loves, mm-hmm. hearing that it's almost okay just to just to choose something simple, and, and it was kind of really interesting. And I think you know sharing what we know and and the things we've seen give people almost this new energy to, to, or or just some affirmation around what they believe about technology.
0: Kyle, anything to plug?
2: I got nothing. Follow me.
1: I'm KDaigle on Twitter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I'm barely known on Twitter. Come say hi if you'd like. I've got nothing else to plug today, so that's a wrap for the show. Thanks.